Today is November 9th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot south of the imposed Canadian-U.S. border are the Blackfeet, north of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, which are the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina. I also acknowledge the Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit, which are also status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I'll share what I know as I walk down the red road. <clears throat> okay, I'm Mekochi Chase Tokomhaki or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My apologies deeply to all the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. Pr pronunciation. Oy, we're in trouble if I can't say it in English. Uh, my spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony. I'm Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, another very English name, which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Slavy Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories, therefore making me a visitor here. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation, my Dene nation of Satu Nation, um, is a visitor to this area called Clincho Tine Indehe Indene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. So I'd like to say thank you to Amanda, Amy, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Dustin, Jody, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, Nathan, Sharon, Tiffany, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. NativeCalgarian.com is also up. Uh, violence is just my everyday reality. Uh, I'm instantly reminded of an article that I just read out of uh, the East where three Indigenous people were execution-style ex execution murdered and uh, found in a black in a back flatbed truck waiting to be buried. And um, yeah, every Indigenous generation has faced it, and that's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure love to tell us theirs, and usually by people who don't know anything about Indigenous people or colonialism or the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Just typical microaggressions and then people dealing with internalized racism. You know, those who end up being the gatekeepers that survive off the status quo or other people who are in a lot of trauma. Internal and external racism, or lateral violence, some people call it, is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and that's why I started the podcast. It's just a safe place to be heard. 
My hope is that one day my family and my daughter will be proud as we discuss these present day issues in a way that they'll understand down the road. I want to always talk about land acknowledgement first because that um, really acknowledges the importance of acknowledging the land we're on. Everyone considers themselves in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, but that's a brand new construct and I don't think a lot of people understand the gravity of that. And what that meant in order for uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada to be here was it also meant the displacing of all of the Blackfoot people that were living here. And the Dene were forced also onto a reserve and the Stony Nakoda were forced out of the mountains into the um, reserves that they're on. And, you know, if you don't acknowledge the land that you're on and you don't understand the thousands of years of history that have been here before that, and to put culturally uh, safe spaces into action, you know, acknowledging that there are many other marginalized people in this world that Canada created. So that includes LGBTQ2 plus and people of color. Um, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action and make change. Speak out against racism. Ask people or ask questions with more understanding. Find allies. Create support systems. Uh, advocate for yourself in a culturally safe way. Take responsibility for your own learning. If you are not from a marginalized community, read, reflect, ask questions. But don't expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. Um, I'm really close to losing a lot of people who like to think they're allies because I'm the first to point out, why do you expect to our leaders who you know, are extremely busy to be answering every single little tweet you have or every single little private message that you have. I mean, I'm Indigenous, and I can't even get a hold of a lot of our leaders because they're busy. Yet, they take the time. And I know elders in the community that are living in poverty. We are giving this information for free. You know, I really don't have a lot of understanding and patience for the for this generation. Uh, and when I say this generation, I don't mean like, you know, the millennials. I mean, anyone living right now, because everyone has in their hand this little device that has more than an encyclopedia. It has every resource you could possibly imagine. Book recommendations, resources up the wazoo from, you know, safe nonprofit places that really whitewash a lot of information. That's all there. You, you can find this information. So for people to expect, you know, poor people to be doing all of the work for you I don't understand you I don't understand and I, I don't have patience for you anymore either so anyway take time for self-reflection beware of your own assumptions and biases question everything you've learned about indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes I mean the fact is I did a whole speech in my last episode about Cindy Gladue about how I literally have to prove my humanity to people before we can even get started because of people's biases and assumptions against Indigenous people. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. You know, even today on um, social media, I seen somebody I went door knocking with, you know, get all angry and defensive because people were calling her out on her incredible amount of privilege that she is completely unaware of. Um, Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And here to help.bc, here to help.bc, 
indigenouspeople.ca. Indigenous people, what it's what is Indigenous cultural safety and why should I care about it? Thank you for those resources so that I could uh, reflect on that as I, I read it. Um, internalized racism or uh, lateral violence, a lot of people call that. You know, I, we deal with it every single day. And I think that a lot of people put a lot of great effort towards not showcasing it. But at the end of the day, it's there and it's really hurting people from moving forward. And if you're non-Indigenous, if you, you probably have no concept of what I'm talking about, but you'll be the first one to say, well, the Natives can't agree with the Natives. So, you know, and we can't say that about you. We can't say, well, Edmonton and Calgary don't get along, so we can't, you know, talk about anything about Alberta. We'd never say that, ever. So question those, you know, um, assumptions and biases that you have. Recognize that when people are fighting within themselves, that's internalized racism, and that's where you get to step away. Um, you have to recognize that it's a racist system, and there's a racial group being oppressed. And sometimes some of those people support the supremacy and dominance of that main, of that group, maintaining that. And I'll give you an example. Uh, myself, I work with the Liberal Party. When I say work, I mean volunteer. They don't pay me. And um, there's a lot of natives that think, what are you doing, you know, supporting that supremacy and that dominance? And for me, I, I would say, well, because I believe in harm reduction and I know if the other people get in, then I know we'll see more genocide at greater numbers. And I'm not okay with that. So for me, it's a bit of a harm reduction. But for other people, that may look hypocritical. And that's okay. There are a lot of people that vote now. 50% um, of us are in urban settings. So there are a lot of people that vote. And of course, I encourage voting, but I also encourage running. And I also encourage the people, like all of the Indigenous people to rise. And any way I can, I will do that. And one day, that will mean stepping away from the Liberal Party in order to help my people in a different way, if I can, if there's a role for me at all. And if that means not helping the Liberal Party, then that's what I'll do. So I just wanted to give you an idea of what internalized racism or lateral violence can manifest as um, in the hopes that people see this is rooted in the in the racism, the structure that, that was imposed on us. It's not our fault that we fight with each other on these things. It's literally, the system wants us to do that. Um, anyway, you can find out more about racialequitytools.org, um, what is internalized racism. You can Google these things. Also, I am hearing more and more about people actually doing bystander intervention. And I found a great resource by the American Friends Service Committee about do's and don'ts. So if you witness any instances of harassment, um, whether that's just like, hey, you Jew, or hey, you, whatever, you know, take off that hijab. Why are you oppressing yourself? You hear really awful comments like that. This is what I'm talking about. So if you witness instances of racism, anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, um, anti-Semitic, any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence or harassment, here's some tips on how to deal with that. Uh, make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed. Ask them if they want support. Move closer to the person being harassed. If, you're if it's possible and you're safe to do so, create a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so and the person being harassed consents, film or record the incident. Take cues from the person being harassed. Don't tone police the person being harassed. 
uh, follow up with the individual after being after the incident is over to see if there's if they're okay if they excuse me you can do anything else do everything you can to keep your both safe um can you move to a safer space can you um work with a team with other people if there's other people in support of what you're doing don't call the police unless somebody says call the police well specifically the person being harassed um for many communities experiencing harassment right now, whether Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, immigrant, indigenous, uh, Jewish, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the people being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. But don't do nothing because silence is dangerous communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry if you find yourself too nervous or scared to speak out just move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body so i also want to encourage if you're experiencing any emotional distress or want to talk um, there's a first nation and inuit hope for wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310 it's toll free and it's open 24 hours a day seven days a week now, I guess we're on maybe episode four-ish of my coverage of the Olympics because um, we have a big vote coming up. We have a big vote. I've already done the advanced poll. Of course, I voted yes. Obviously, I've been encouraging everybody to do that. And um, the actual vote is coming up next week on the 13th, which I encourage everybody to go vote. Um a lot of people are starting to really speak out why they are in support of the Olympics and trying to give a really detailed reason why. Yeah, I haven't actually got any questions or comments about it. So I'm just assuming that people are, um, you know, not going to use that medium to contact me. But out in community, I've been talking to other people who can't even believe we're having this conversation. Um that the Indigenous community, the tourism community, our arts and crafts, of course, they'll see huge boosts in their economies in order to do this. So my hope is if you are listening, you will consider voting yes and know that it's not just that you're voting yes for uh, Calgary right now. You're voting yes for Canada and you're voting yes for legacy in infrastructure for the next generations. Like if there was literally a conversation to talk about a seven generation decision, this is definitely it because before I and I just found this out they started the bids in the 50s and were denied 60s denied 70s denied and then finally we got it in 81 and um, look at all of the kids that have benefited from you know learning how to skate or speed skate or ski or whichever from it now obviously I would say not a lot of indigenous kids have gotten as much opportunity and even myself I never I mean I'm 41 I never um, use those facilities. Now, I have used Olympic Plaza in front of City Hall quite frequently, and um, I'm sure you've all know me from there. So, you know, I, I know that we have lots of legacy pieces that we take for granted is more the point. Um, and I obviously would really be pushing for reconciliation calls to action implemented so that we have more Indigenous youth inclusion and um, anti-racism training so that we really get over this hump. I was actually joking the other day with a group of people who um, are, you know, professionals that work in, uh, you know, counseling type situations. And we were discussing, you know, incredible traumas from war and genocide outside of Canada. 
And I, I, I was laughing because I said, yeah, but the moment you start talking about racism in Canada, it's like, ooh, we can talk about genocide, we can talk about war, we can talk about, you know, losing a leg in war, we can talk about rape and all these trauma-related uh, issues, but don't bring up the racism. And I thought, it is so ridiculous. We have so much professionalism towards all of these other topics, but yet we just can't seem to get over that hump when it comes to uh, talking about racism in Canada. My hope is that's the, the whole purpose of this is to get over that hump one day. So um, I was talking about the Olympics and I was telling you how um, a lot of people are coming out in support. Well, there was a wonderful event that was done by um, SN7 out at Siksika Nation. And this is a sports organization that does um, encouraging youth to be active in sports. And uh, Riley Many Bears, he was the one who put together a great, a wonderful, wonderful evening. So I'm going to do the podcast um, of the interview that I had with him where it's just mainly him talking so you don't have to listen to me anymore and then I'll, I'll come back and wrap it up and this was on November 7th on the Wednesday and today is Friday so this is two days later. Joining me today is Riley Many Bears, and I'm really grateful to have you here so I would love for you to introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Riley Many Bears. my blog Black my name is uh, Running Buffalo, mm. and I'm um, from the Six Gun Nation. Yeah, so I guess, did you get that name in ceremony, and was that before or after you started running? Actually, I got this name about three years ago, just before I was heading off to Brazil for the first annual World Indige Indigenous Games, and so, um, yeah, you know, I had a face painting ceremony, and then all of a sudden, you know, I ended up getting a Blackwood name, and, you know, when I was younger, I always wanted a Blackwood name, and, you know, so it was a huge honor, and it's, it's a privilege, and I'm blessed to have this amazing uh, black name and so um, you know the the society members gave me a story on why they well on how they gave me running buffalo and the meaning of it so um, you know in our culture that buffalo is always sacred and you know like but besides like buffaloes do provide all the food clothing shelter but you know with the buffalo you know he goes through many storms unlike other animals if a storm comes the animal will turn away but the buffalo just you know, goes right through and like with myself, my life story, you know, growing up, you know, I faced many challenges and so I pretty much just went on through the many, many storms head high and so yeah, it was an amazing story to hear that and mm -hmm. I really do like my, like my Blackwood name. Yeah, I bet. I, I would, oh, it's such an honor when I get, when I got my name, it was by a Cree man, a Cree elder and, uh, but the moment I met like uh, one of the elders from this area, he uh, immediately started calling me my name, but only in Blackfoot. Mm. So I videotaped it and listened to him, and I've been trying to learn how to say my name in Blackfoot mm -hmm. and apologize every single time to any of the language keepers every time I attempt it. So, <laughs> But it's, uh, it's fun uh, stories to tell about um, our ceremonies, so I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, yeah that's great, no problem. Yeah. So when, when did you start running and why did you decide that, yeah, this is something I'm going to keep doing and, and really work at it? Um, well, you know, I grew up, you know, my, my late grandparents always encouraged me to be, you know, athletic and sometimes I'll go visit them out in way out in Crawford Ferry, you know, it's just an isolated area and then, um, you know, I was pretty, like when I was younger, I really still to this day I enjoyed video games, right? Mm. And so, um, my my grandparents didn't really like me staying in the house for like 10, 12 hours a day. You know, I was playing video games, and she, they also told me like, 
go out, enjoy the land, and you know, just be part of, you know, Mother Nature, Mother Earth. You know, just leave your footprints. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and then, well, where I stayed is, you know, where where my grand like grandparents stayed is it's a pretty isolated area. You know, only three houses, and and so my cousins always lived in those two other houses, and so um, and so every single day, I'd always be active. You know, whether it be like playing tag, playing football, uh, soccer, and then we'll literally be playing till like, you know, three in the morning. And I remember, you know, our favorite game would always be kick the can or home free. And like, we'll be playing right from like 9 p.m. all the way to like 4 a.m. And so we <laughs> we literally be running for hours, drenched in sweat. And yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I got, I got introduced to track and field at grade five and I attended school in Bizano. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a mixed school, you know, a lot of First Nations from Siska attend there. And so, um, yeah, I got introduced to track and field. You know, I didn't know that there was a sport for running. So like, oh, so everyone had to join. You know, my teacher, you know, pretty much signed. I remember running my first 800 meter race. I remember it so well because I was just, you know, I, I, I remember at the starting line, you know, there's there's about there's about like 15 of us on the starting line. And, and I remember um, I really stood up because the way I was dressed. I was dressed in jeans, skater shoes, and while the other, you know, um, kids, athletes were, you know, had like nice shoes, nice apparel, and then, you know, I, re- I really stood out, and then, you know, gun goes off, got, starting gun goes off, and, you know, 800 meters is two laps, and so I remember I just took off, and, you know, I ended up winning, yeah, it was a great, great feeling, and, you know, like, oh, I could really, you know, do, you know I can really make something out of this, and so, um, yeah, you know, I pretty much, was being active and and yeah and I kept at it throughout my junior high years and high school years but you know at the time you know I was you know growing up you know I didn't you know it was pretty um pretty rough I would say you know I faced many challenges you know I grew up in a really dysfunctional home mm. you know uh, drugs and alcohol um, family violence poverty and so you know there'd be days where you know I would go to school without any lunches or you know, without, you know, be, you know, couldn't afford, like, nice, nice things, and so, um, you know, like, my only escape from that was sports. Mm. I pretty much participate as many sports as I can, you know, from volleyball, basketball, just to be with friends, and so, you know, I always wanted to be a hockey player, you know, I, you know, I I always respect every athlete, but I always wanted to be a hockey player because, you know, my friends and, you know, people were trying, I did, I did try for one year, but it was so expensive, I couldn't even afford, like, a decent stick nor skates and I was pretty much getting bullied because I couldn't tie my skates and so um so my self self esteem went down and then you know that's how I got influenced into like volleyball and basketball and so you know I pretty much kept at it and yeah that's good yeah yeah no I uh I loved high school sports I wasn't uh very good at all of them that's for sure (laughs) um I, I had a small town so they pretty much were always looking for numbers and I was kind of like lucky to have somebody say hey maybe volleyball is your thing and oh, yeah. yeah so I, I understand like it was just something to do <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's good but to hear that uh, you had to face those barriers that it while it sucks I guess it I, I hate the word resiliency in some ways but yeah. in other ways I don't know a better term to really talk about you know, going beyond the barriers and... Yeah, no, I was, I'm actually, you know, blessed I experienced those barriers because um, it made me a better person, you know, more grateful for things, you know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm like, it made, 
be uh, mentally strong and you know just you know showing like you know when I was younger I thought I was the only one going through those barriers and challenges and but as I got older I started to realize there's a lot of First Nations youth that went through that yeah and so um it's kind of like you know I'm not the only one and and so you know I was pretty much determined and yeah I wanted to kind of be a role model someday and you know I remember an individual saying like oh you're not gonna you know, you're not going to be a great athlete one day. And I was like, well, mm. I'm, I'm going to show you someday. So yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I don't want to rub it in their face, but you know, just, you know, stories like that, you know, that kind of pretty much motivates me and yeah, just to be better. Yeah. I like proving people wrong too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like using that word. I like to prove myself wrong that. Yeah. That yeah. you can do better. Yeah, exactly. That you can do better than what they think. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Um, I just wanted to kind of give some background to people who are listening that in order for me to be in this Deerfoot Sportplex with you right now, I had to go past the um, Indian Residential School, which is now a college. And um, how long did it take for you to know about like that bigger picture of, you know, the dysfunction that we grew up in is a result of things that were completely out of our control? Yeah, um, you know, like a lot of parents, grandparents, you know, they went to residential schools. And so, you know, with the whole, you know, like, um, you know, sexual abuse, uh, verbal abuse and, and all that. And so, um, you know, like it pretty much, you know, once they finished school, I'm not an expert on the subject, but, you know, like, for example, my, you know, my grandparents, you know, they're, they're heavily into, you know, alcohol. And so, you know, they pretty much, you know, pass on to that abuse to like, you know, their, their kids. And so that pretty much, you know, it's kind of domino effect, you know? And so, you know, I experienced that, but you know, like we, you know, we're at a time where, um, kids are starting to realize that, you know, that's not a life to live. And then they, you know, they want to do better things, you know, for their future kids. Yeah. And they want to kind of prevent that. And so, you know, it's either they'll go back, you know, get, go to school, get a degree, master's, PhD, whatever, you know, just to provide us, stable future for their kids you know and not only that but they gotta like pretty much you know I would say you know give them some be strict on them you know just about you know (laughs) so yeah I do believe that you know yeah yeah discipline discipline is what got you here as well right like it's it's not just uh you know giving boundaries to your kids it's that giving your boundaries to yourself in order to be in a position where you're literally training for the Olympics now yeah and representing Canada yeah that's amazing how did you get there how like what what were some of the key points that made you realize you can represent Canada well I'm not an Olympian yet but you know my my goal of me going to become an Olympian going to the Olympics started at um I believe I was 14 14 turning 13 it was around the Vancouver Winter Olympics, you know, um, you know, I just, you know, it's like, and I, I did re- recall watching some Olympics, but I, I didn't really, you know, someday, oh, well, when I become Olympian, but mm-hmm. you know, I remember this really particular moment when the Vancouver Games was happening. And I remember, you know, on a Sunday evening at my house and, you know, we're watching on this small box TV. We only got one channel, CBC, and then the events were done that Sunday evening. And then, um, and I remember... You know, I seen this Disney logo. I was like, oh, it's a Disney movie. So I guess, you know, keep watching it. All of a sudden, I seen the title, Cool Running. So I was like, oh, Cool Runs. I was like, you know, what's this about? And then next day I told my dad, I was like, hey, what's the, what's the movie Cool Runs? And next thing he told me about, you know, it's about a, a Jamaican bobsled 
bobsled team competing at the 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics. Like, oh, I didn't know Calgary hosted the Olympics. And then, you know, just seeing, like, you know, the determination and, you know, their motivations for them to get to the Olympics. And, you know, just, I went mixing that pretty much trigger. Like, oh, wow, you know, someday I want to go to the Olympics. Yeah. Not in, bo- not in bobsled, but, you know, in <laughs> distance running. So, you know, not only that, but I was like, oh, wow, Vancouver Winter Olympics is this happening to the province next to me. And so... And yeah, you know, I just told myself, you know, that very particular moment, I said, yeah, I want to become an Olympian. And then um, along the way, I met some great, you know, I, I do recall for the first time, it was around 2011. And I remember I attended a sports summit, a Nike and 7 sports summit down in um, Beaverton, Oregon. So, um, you know, I was chit-chatting with someone and they said, oh, um, they, they know I was a runner. They're like, oh, you're going to be the next Billy Mills. And I was like, Billy Mills, who? Who's Billy Mills? And he said, "Yeah, he's a. You should look him up. He's a Native American who won uh, the gold medal in distance runners. And he didn't really, really know what event was like distance running. So I quickly Googled it, and, and then, you know, heard it, hearing that he won the gold medal in 1964 Tokyo Olympics in the men's 10,000 meter. And so I automatically became a fan. And then you know, just I remember saying, you know, someday I'm gonna meet this inspiring individual, individual. And so. I didn't know what he looks like or who he is, and so I just that very particular moment, you know, I became a fan. And then you know, around 2014, I got the opportunity to meet him, and and then not only that, but you know, over the years, you know, me and him just have this great relationship because me and him could really relate because you know he was an orphan, you know, oh. he, lo- he lost his parents at a young age, and he went to the University of Kansas. He experienced racism and. You know, he was on the verge of suicide. Wow. And so, um, and then, you know, that moment, you know, he, you know, he's about to jump out of the hotel window. And then that, you know, that moment he wrote down his dream to win a gold medal in the Olympic 10,000 meter. And so, and then he ends up winning it, you know, like he goes to the Olympic Games. A year before he was diagnosed hypoglycemic, you know, 25 laps on a muddy track in Tokyo. And, you know, he was going up against world-class record holders you know he was a virtually unknown you know people didn't thought that he would win and you know all of a sudden he ends up winning so Incredible. still to this day you know he's the only person in the western western hemisphere to have a gold medal in that particular event not only that but still the only american wow and then yeah you know i mean him i have this great relationship alongside his um his amazing wife his amazing wife patricia mills and you know like we always keep in contact and you know me it's just you know, amazing having that connection with someone who we really look to look up to and inspire because you know um 2015 when he first came to six guy you know i was you know i was going through a lot because 2013 i lost my my, my dad passed away and so i was oh. i experienced depression got into drugs and alcohol hmm. and then you know just you know being around him you know really you know really uh really inspired me and so i you know i said you know what you know he this guy went through the same what I'm going through so you know there is hope and yeah that's amazing I'll, first of all I'm inspired by you watching Cool Runnings <laughs> I made my daughter to do it not that long ago and uh, because I live in Calgary and we live kind of down the street from the hotel that they did a lot of that filming from <laughs> you know I'm a, I'm an uber fan and I'm 41 so I remember what it was like going through the 88 Olympics when I was younger so hearing that was inspiring but then to hear about this gentleman like I'm going to be googling 
about <laughs> him after this and finding out more about him. And, you know, that's somebody that I keep thinking about when we talk about hosting the Winter Olympics. I drove by an old Indian residential school in order to come here to talk to you. And I don't know if Calgarians understand the legacy of what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission put together in their calls to action and, and their sports. I was wondering if you um, had read any of the calls to action towards sports and if you had any thoughts that you have towards that. Actually, I did read a few things and, you know, um, I'm not really an expert on that because, you know, like, I could say the wrong thing, but, you know, like, I do believe that sports can change people. It can change the world. And, you know, like, um, sports saved me from my addictions, you know, saved me from, you know, me, the urge of, you know, attempted suicide. And so, um, you know, um, like, I do believe that, you know, being active, living a healthy lifestyle is a great, you know, it's a great... um. You know, it's a great antidepressant. You know, it never mind these prescription pills. You know, if you just get active, it really gets rid of stress. And so I've been a um, you know fitness freak. I've been pretty much active all day. And yeah, you know, I just you know get even when I'm. It's funny because I work at the sportsplex, different sportsplex, and I'm literally working twelve hours a day. I'm so used to it because I have access to you know basketball weight room and you know like. Not only that, but, you know, we do, I do get comments saying, oh, why are you working out? You're supposed to be working. I was like, well, you know, it's, you know, the higher up said we can because we're promoting fitness. And they're like, okay. And so, you know, you know, I, you know, I enjoy my time working here. And yeah, like I do believe that, you know, like, like sports can, can really give a lot of options. You know, it, it opens many doors for people. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like with my success, you know, I just, you know, just about you know three years ago, I was about to, three four years ago, I was about to quit the sports. Of running. Really? Quit. You know, I was down with it, and then, you know, I was heavily into my addictions, and you know, my brother, my younger brother, actually, it's, it's his birthday today, November seventh. So. Oh. So he's turning. He's turning twenty one, and yeah, and um, you know, he's pretty stern, stern and strict with me. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, I'm kind of grateful I do have that, and he kind of. You know, it ticks me off sometimes, but it's tough love. And, you know, um, I got this opportunity. Well, he's pretty much nagging, I don't know, like the head of the track and field coach for the 2014 North American Indigenous Games. And mm. I didn't want to do anything with that. You know, like, no, I don't want to go. And then he, I don't know, he somehow got me on. And then I just, I hated, I hated him for that. He's like, no, it's, I don't like it how you're living a self-destructive life, you know, and just start training again. And, you know, start training for my therapy. And then, yeah, I went out there, came home with a few gold medals, and, yeah, it was a great feeling. And, yeah, sort of like... <laughs> Just came home with a few gold medals. Yeah. That's then, amazing. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah. That's an amazing accomplishment. And then, so. you know, I, and I remember winning for the first time, you know, like probably over a year, and I said, you know, I, you know, I like this feeling. It's better than, you know, partying. And so I just... Yeah kept at it and then then 2015 you know was basically my highlight years like winning every race almost um you know i was fourth at the national the canadian national championships in the half marathon you know my first time running a half marathon you know and then you know like me being a 19 year old getting these great comments saying you know wow you could be the next i you know hearing tom longboat like oh wow that's a huge honor and you know the legacy of tom longboat and and then yeah, and then I faced a 
huge barrier around like the summer 2015 because I was on the verge of making a national team to represent um, the national team at the 2015 Toronto Pan Am Games. And so, you know, I was in great shape and then I hit a little stump, a barrier. So I've been having, I thought I was having these heart spasm, but turns out that it was a severe heart disease. And so I ended up in an emergency room and they're, you know, they're figuring out what was going on and and I ended up back, you know, they did some tests and then, you know, me being this young, hot-headed, you know, you know, fool, you know, I kept training and I ended up going back in the ER and it turns out I was diagnosed with a severe heart condition called Wolf Parkinson's. So it's like a, you know, a few blood clots and valves that are not working and so, um... Really? Yeah. Holy. So. Do they know why? Like, is that just some, you know, genetic thing that happens? Yeah. Or? I, yeah. I, so I, it found out, I, I found out that my, on my late dad's side, there's a history of heart diseases. Mm. And so, you know, I was really upset. And then, um, yeah, and then I got an opportunity, like, at the end of August, you know, I got an opportunity to represent Team Canada at the first annual World Indigenous Games down in Brazil. So I obviously said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm ignoring my heart disease. And then I remember, you know, I remember, t- like, after that phone call, and I remember, I was like, oh, man, my heart is, my heart, um, what did I do? What when, what have I done? And so, you know, I went to um, talk to my doctor, cardiologist. And so 